Welcome to Dyslexics Wanted, a podcast celebrating the unique strengths and creativity so often the hallmark of people with dyslexia. We invite you to learn more at the Web Innovation Center for Dyslexia's website, WICD.org. I'm Jordan Rich, and today my guest is Dean Bragonier, the founder and executive dyslexic of Noticeability.org, unlocking the dyslexic potential, something Dean has done so successfully in his own life. Noticeability is the culmination of Dean's passion for education and his conviction that the advantages of dyslexia far outweigh its challenges. To open things up, it's a pleasure to have you on our podcast, Dean. Can you tell me what you told an audience on a TED Talk recently, what it feels like to be dyslexic? What does it feel like? Absolutely. First of all, thank you for taking the time to watch that. I appreciate it. It's, uh, you know, I think it's, there's, there's multiple ways to answer that question. First and foremost is to ask you what age bracket you're talking about because Mm -hmm. the dyslexic experience, I believe, um, evolves uh, significantly or it certainly has for me. So if you are talking about early education, those elementary years, which are awkward and challenging uh, as they are, let alone being uh, an individual who has a, a challenge when it comes to learning how to read, how to process the content that they are reading, and unfortunately, to be failing miserably at what I think our society deems to be the first litmus test of one's intelligence, which is that capacity Mm. to learn how to read. And so if you are a young, uh, developing, emotional human being, and your perpetual exposure to failure at this key task, um, it's impossible not to internalize that. And it's impossible not to uh, start to paint oneself in a very negative light. And when you buy into this, albeit fictitious narrative, um, it has a profound impact on the way you perceive yourselves, uh, yourself and, and how others perceive you and what you start to do is adopt a bit of a chameleon type existence where you're doing everything in your power to remain invisible. And uh, if that means um, uh, finding ways to cut corners or masquerading as something you're not to avoid detection, uh, you're spending an exorbitant amount of time trying to find that particular solution to a given situation. Now, we have to remember that those first six, seven, eight years of education are absolutely paramount to one's ability to get these core disciplines, uh, reading, writing, uh, basic math, uh, under their belt. And so if you're literally obsessed with um, becoming uh, imperceptible, uh, then what you're neglecting to do is is harness some of these key academic sort of survival techniques. And so you become, I think, uh, what I would refer to as, as, as a, a sort of a shell of a human being. You have not gone to school as somebody who is excited to learn. You're going to school as uh, sort of forced um, survival, if you will. Mm. Uh it's it's interesting that, that you bring out statistics that shock me, and I want to have you follow up on something. And you talked about the impact on the individual. How about the impact on society? Seventy percent of all juvenile delinquents, we suspect, 
are dealing with learning disabilities and certainly dyslexia. And uh, it ties in directly to the prison population, what's going on with with people's personality issues as well as their learning issues. Talk a little bit about the impact on all of us when this problem yeah, is Yeah, you know, aggressive. I mean, the, the, the number that we quote is, is 60% of the juvenile uh, justice population. And, you know, there is uh, material that is coming out with great frequency to underscore that. Uh, one of the challenges, of course, is diagnosis and the evolving definition of dyslexia. That being said, um, when we incorporate what we were just speaking about, which is this uh, sort of psychological state of uh, survivalism, if you will, uh, it, it comes as no surprise that a deficient self-esteem uh, will will manifest itself in less than savory decisions, right? If if one feels as if they are dysfunctional or broken or irrelevant, then you start to see the self-fulfilling prophecy. Oh, you know, I'm no good. I'm stupid. I'm worthless. I'm not going to make it through school. So why bother? And then, of course, as you enter adolescence, then these these opportunities to engage in 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 the less desirable sort of behavior, um, it it shouldn't surprise us mm. that somebody that doesn't see much future them for, them for themselves is going to engage in drug and alcohol experimentation, which can ultimately turn into abuse or habituation or getting involved in um, you know criminal activity or whatever it may be these are you know these tend to be populated by peer groups that have a very low barrier to entry if you will yeah. right you've got to open the beer consume and you're accepted or you've got to put a brick through the window and you're accepted so I think we're we're looking at a population that is desperate to find uh, self-identity and community. And when these type of uh, behaviors uh, are are a possibility for us to get validation, we'll take it. That obviously comes at great expense to the individual, but but the opportunity cost to society is significant. Now we talk a lot about the dyslexic advantage, and it's something that uh, you're heralding as well. But now. Apparently, we have more information on the neuroscience of dyslexia. We can actually point to parts of the brain that are affected, and we can understand why people are perhaps more creative. Can you fill us in on what you've been into lately? Well, not just lately, but for a while, in terms of the neuroscience study and what we're learning. Well, you know, and that, that I absolutely can. And 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 ironically, what it does is it. it it incorporates your first question, which is what is the dyslexic experience? And uh, I answered about, you know, the, the elementary years. Um, but the neuroscience that's emerging, uh, most specifically through the work of uh, doctors uh, uh, Brock and Fernet Eide, who wrote The Dyslexic Advantage, they have literally interviewed thousands of dyslexics and they have created this sort of cognitive profile, if you will, of both its associated challenges as well as its strengths. And the way that these strengths present, obviously, are individual, um, but they are quite predictable in terms of their correlation to this population. Now, when you look at these strengths, and when you look at their application most specifically to the, um, to the, to the, 
to the career component of our lives, there is incredible overlap. I, you know, without going into tremendous detail, our, our ability to, uh, to see seemingly disparate pieces of information and create a narrative out of that, um, out of that sort of uh, fractured information is quite uh, surprising and, and how quickly we can do that. And if we have the um, business acumen, we go on and we create uh, entrepreneurial endeavors like mm. Charles Schwab or like Richard Branson. Now, they say 35% of all entrepreneurs have dyslexic, so you don't have dyslexia, so you don't have to be a Branson or mm. Schwab, but you look at small businesses around the country, and if 35% of them are people with dyslexia, um, that's, a, that's a serious representation. Um, you know, our ability, some more than others, to uh, have sort of what I would refer to as rhetorical dexterity, right? We've got a high episodic memory skill set where we can remember things in our lives with incredible uh, texture and um, uh, and sort of detail so that if we are giving a public talk or we are a politician on the stump, we can actually draw off of life experiences, translate them into the, uh, the message that this particular audience will resonate with and then create a compelling argument. So if you look historically at the Winston Churchills or the JFKs of the world who had dyslexia, you realize, wow, Mm. There's an extraordinary ability to change the way people perceive things right. based on our rhetorical dexterity. So mm -hmm. as an adult, I view the dyslexic experience very differently than I did as, as, as a youngster or as an adolescent. In fact, now I relish in the opportunity to be dyslexic because I go and start my day looking at opportunities that others may not see. And so for me to be dyslexic is one of the most wonderful benefits I could possibly have. And just yesterday, my son, who is uh, I refer to as a purebred dyslexic because my wife is dyslexic and so am I. So we knew we were going to get a, uh, a purebred. Uh, you know, <laughs> he pointed out something around the house that we were doing a little project in a completely different way than I had perceived it. And admittedly, 10 times better than mm. my solution. And that ability to create uh, and 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 manifest a different perception in reality is, I mean, it's like a superpower. It I'm not really, even kidding around. Yeah, it really is cool. We've interviewed many younger people who are in the same league sort of as your son, and they are remarkably creative and talented. And they, that old expression, thinking out of the box, that's made for a dyslexic in some cases. Uh, exactly. It's really impressive. Now, um, let's talk now about noticeability, noticeability.org, one of the great titles for an organization because it plays uh, – <laughs> the wordplay is great. But it's Thank it's you. really uh, what you say in the, in the title is unlocking the dyslexic potential. And you do it with something called the, the enrichment curriculum. And I don't need you to go into too much detail because we don't have that kind of time and people can find out more on the site. But what's the basic theme of enrichment curriculum? How does it differ from any – uh, standard curriculum that is employed. Sure. Enrichment curriculum is what we're referring to as something outside of those core academic disciplines that we all have to, I'll say, suffer or study. Uh, what we're focused on specifically, and this is this is this is pretty basic concept, is 
if we know this population is particularly disenfranchised when it comes to education, yet we know they have certain cognitive assets that reveal themselves with disproportionate rates in particular vocational paths, why don't we introduce those to students? Why don't we teach kids that believe they are dysfunctional what they are actually good at? so that they can understand why it is necessary to stay in school and to double down and, and get the work done despite its difficulty. And so what we've done is created courses that focus on the top four professions for dyslexics, entrepreneurship, engineering, architecture, and the arts. And we've distilled those to an age-appropriate level, middle school, and embedded them with exercises whereby students with dyslexia can see where these cognitive advantages lie. And the premise is very simple. If a student starts to see what they're good at, it will start to negate that negative, self-deprecating dialogue that they are telling themselves and instead replace it with genuine self-esteem confidence and a willingness to stay in school and and to work as hard as need be to get to where they want to go. And that's all we've done. And so by working with public schools and private schools and tutors and parent groups, we're simply revealing an opportunity to engage in a different dialogue mm. that has a profound social and emotional impact on students with dyslexia and our hope is that longitudinally what we're going to see is a reduction in drug and alcohol abuse rates, a reduction in incarceration and attrition rates. That will not only benefit the individuals and their families, but I guarantee the more dyslexics who are empowered and able to use the brain that their creator has given them, the better off our society will be. And don't believe me, just go back and look historically. Dyslexics, success, past. Right. Google that right. and you will see that this, some of the greatest change agents in human history have been people with dyslexia. And by the way, noticeability.org, write that down, remember it, or check it out while you're listening to the podcast even. And that leads me to my final comment and question for you. And uh, I invite you to take the view from the parapet, as we say, and overlook where we've come from. And you, of course, are somebody who grew up in a dyslexic world that wasn't quite as fit for for training, where did we come from? Where are we going? That's the basic question. Well, you know, the anybody older than me, I'm 46. Anybody older than me is guaranteed to have had a very difficult, traumatic academic experience, and that by no small feat is a direct result of people not knowing what these kids were dealing with. And so words like stupid were thrown around for generations. Now, where we are is still we're stepping out of the dark ages into sort of the enlightenment phase where we're recognizing, wow, this is absolutely the opposite of stupidity. In fact, it's just a reading-based, brain-based difference that we can remediate effectively if diagnosis is uh, affordable and, and, and accessible. And if we can implement 
on a national and global level, early detection, early reading remediation, and proper social emotional learning scaffolding, which is what we do, I see the future to be the golden age of dyslexia. I see the future where information is no longer transmitted only through text, but rather through video or as we are doing audio or graphic or pictorial imagery. The dyslexic is all of a sudden going to have those societally imposed barriers removed and therefore able to fulfill their true potential. And my belief system is that my son, who is 11 now, will one day write beneath his name and his email address on his resume that he is dyslexic in order to give him a competitive advantage in the workforce. That's where I think we're headed. The 21st century marketplace is perfectly geared towards the skills and talents of dyslexics. So I think the best is yet to come. I love that attitude as many of our listeners will cheer that on and rightfully so. Dean, congratulations. And by the way, we're going to make this a total family affair since Sally was one of your wife was one of our first podcast guests. Now you and uh, your son and his name again is? Bodhi, B-O-D-H-I. All right. Yes, you've, uh, I'm like, I'm like the white filling between the Oreo cookies. <laughs> you got the, the first was the best and the, and the last is guaranteed to be a, a home run. So, uh, thanks for letting me, uh, uh, be inserted in the middle here. Like most dads, you're the, you're the extra, the also ran, but I'm the, I'm in the same boat. <laughs> My kids are far out chime in. I'm happy for it. Dean, thank you so much and continued success with noticeability.org. Thank you, Jordan. My thanks to Dean Bragonier, founder and executive dyslexic from noticeability.org. And thank you for listening to Dyslexics Wanted. Feel free to contact us here at our website, wicd.org. We welcome guest or topic suggestions. Dyslexics Wanted is a production of the Web Innovation Center for Dyslexia. I'm Jordan Rich, wishing you a fabulous day.